Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Clarity, Part 2, Made in His Image. Recorded Sunday, May 21st, 2023. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. And we are in this series we're calling Clarity. And I was just talking to Luke in the back and I said, you know, this series has been a hard one for me to grasp. You know, I mean, usually we plan these things out a little bit in advance, but for whatever reason, I mean, it's just been a hard thing for me. I don't know if it's the fact that it's a topic that's not always easy to broach, especially in light of what's right and wrong and gray in our culture. But uh, last week we opened up the series, I thought in a very strong way with a reminder that Jesus Christ came to raise us, to give us new life, to give us a new kind of life. And that's his mission in in our lives. And the next two messages, this one and next week, are really a message in two parts. Today I want to open up with the concept of original design. And then next week, we want to go a little further and talk about the derailing of that design. I was told a long time ago by one of my great homiletics professors, the the man who really taught me about preaching, uh, his name is Dick Brown. And he, he told us once, he said, you know what, if you want to draw a crowd to church, talk about sex. And if you want to thin the crowd, talk about giving. I'm always about the crowd, so I'm going to go in. You know, I don't know what... You and I, we weren't very old when we started to discover our sexuality. Like it might have worked out for you this way. You're two years old and you're in the bathtub and your mommy's giving you a bath and, and, and you say to your mommy, mommy, what's this? Well, that's your ear. Mommy, what's this? Well, that's your nose. What's this? That's your chin. What's this? Well, that's your elbow. What's this? That's your belly button. And then you point a little bit south and you say, what's this? And she says, Frank, get in here. Your kid's got a question for you. (laughs) Yeah, that's like your first lesson in sex education right there, okay? We are sexual beings. We are inundated with sexual content every day, almost every moment of every day. And yet we're uncomfortable talking about this at church. And discussing this topic in this environment can create some anxiety for several reasons. Maybe you are nervous because you don't know what this guy is going to say and you may not like it. Or maybe you're concerned because your kids are, are asking all kinds of questions and they're going directions that make you uncomfortable or you're confused by and, and you're afraid that maybe something will be said here that turns them off from church, as we seeing happen, see happening all over the country. And, and just so you know, I'm nervous about it because I'm going to say stuff and my kids are going to hear it and so is my wife and so I've got that going on. First time I ever heard a message in church that speaks to origin and especially the goodness of human sexuality, I think I was in my 20s. I don't remember for sure. But I'm pretty sure... I never heard a sermon in the churches I attended, really good churches, by the way, who brought this up. Now, the school was teaching us. My biology class was taking a stab at it. I had sex education classes at North High in Omaha. I know I did. I can't remember them, but I had them. 
My 12 to 20-year-old buddies were certainly talking about it in my upgrowing years. They were all lying about it, by the way, but they were talking about it. The movies, the magazines, the stuff that I was exposed to back then, yeah, they had a message about it. But the church, weirdly quiet. I suppose somewhere along the line, I got the idea that it was just dirty or that it was something shameful and embarrassing and that shouldn't really be talked about in a place like this. And I did hear messages like, it's dangerous. It can bring pain. There's diseases that can be transmitted. That was a big thing in the 70s, right? I don't remember hearing this positive, good, and wonderful gift message that I think should exist on this topic. As we read the Bible, we quickly discover that God is not a prude, that God has no trouble talking to us about this aspect of our lives. But he doesn't use clinical language. He doesn't use scientific terminology normally. He doesn't, he doesn't use slang. He actually uses poetry. Let me give you a couple examples of this. It's in Song of Psalms chapter 7. And this is from the male's point of view. He says, he writes, Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are like the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath Rabim. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. I guess that's romantic. I don't know. <laughs> Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its treasures. How beautiful you are. How pleasing, my love, with your delights. Your stature is like that of a palm. Your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. Yes, this is in the Bible. <laughs> May your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine and your fragrance like the breath of apples, your mouth like the best wine. That's the dude, all right? Now here's the girl. She says in verse 10, May the wine go straight to my beloved, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I belong to my beloved. His desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go into the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, their blossoms have opened, and the pomegranates are in bloom, and I will give you my love there. Now, Brendan Lang told me that in Old Testament times, Hebrew boys were not allowed to read Song of Solomon, okay? I don't think it requires any kind of word study from Brendan to recognize that there's some very explicit, some steamy, some erotic poetry there. So apparently, God is not afraid of that. He's pro-passion. God created us as sexual creatures. His design is perfect without flaw. The blueprint is flawless. What where the flaws come from are, are from us, from our culture. The first ideal was perfect. Preston Sprinkle has a number of books on the topic of identity and, and uh, sexuality, and he has a podcast that's called Theology in the Raw, and he uses this term sexual atheists to describe how Christians segment spirituality from sexuality, Christians. 
And the reality is that, that we have a problem with this because most of us want to follow God in every area of our life, but for whatever reason, we want to keep him out of this area of our life. And because we've tried to separate theology from biology, it's tended to lead to hurt, confusion, even messiness in our lives, in our relationships. That's why we need clarity. The reality is, most of us have had our view on who we are as image bearers of God, human beings shaped by the culture around us. In my generation, my thoughts and my identity around sexuality were influenced primarily by my parents who weren't saying anything and my buddies in the neighborhood. And that wasn't good. In a sermon by Gene Apple, he describes how he was in the fourth grade exposed for the first time to pornography. He remembers how he first felt the excitement, then the guilt, and then the shame. So he said that shaped to some extent how he viewed sex as a young, at a young age. And, and he said that was well before puberty. I was in the sixth grade the first time I was exposed to that kind of stuff. And of course, what, what we were exposed to then, friends, is mild in comparison to the hundreds and thousands of images and messages that are available to our eight-year-olds every moment of the day. And it's crazy. You know, in the 1960s, parents and educators were in no hurry to move to the ABCs and the 123s, okay? And get past that and go to something more, <laughs> more, more physical, okay? But that has changed, and we're speeding it up. And what we're finding out already is that children before puberty making decisions on sexual identity and sexual stimulation, it's having a devastating effect on their lives and their souls. And it preempts the brain's development. It forces them to blaze new trails and new neural pathways that they're not meant to create before puberty. We're being taught to think about sex and sexuality biology, but through biology and not through spirituality. And over time, from all the, the, you know, the things we watch and we observe, the music we listen to, the, the movies that we, that we enjoy, the websites that we frequent, the conversations we have with our peers, social media, educators, we are being formed with a narrative. It's a cultural narrative. It's not a spiritual narrative, it's a cultural narrative. And, and what is the message? What is the narrative? Here it is. It's a personal choice. It's about self-fulfillment. It's the hookup culture, and that's normal. It's about personal satisfaction. People are encouraged to experiment to find their preferential expression of sex at a very young age. No need to accept the original status as man or woman as God defines it. Sex and gender voyagers are just accepted, encouraged, and yes, even celebrated. All my life, I have been told that human beings are nothing more than animals, evolved animals. And then we're surprised when there's an epidemic of assault as people act like animals towards each other. 
As early as high school, relationships are becoming physical, and it creates confusion, it creates emotional devastation. And it was described to me this way, that when, when, when teenagers have been sexually active, break up, it's like a divorce. And then that happens again because it cycles quite often, quite often it cycles, and they jump from one person to another because that's what they, how they find fulfillment. Well, then, can you imagine what that's like after a period of time? No wonder that people say, you know what? It's no big deal. It's just biology. And that is the pattern of the culture. And, and by the way, I, I think sometimes we think in our day, oh, we're just worse than everybody else. and we, It's never been this bad. Think again. I want you to go back with me to Rome in the first century. And, and by the way, this is a pattern that existed then. People then were going to the clubs, they were drinking in their IPAs or whatever they drank, they were hooking up, they had gender confusion, they had, they had problems with, with, uh, with, with health because of their decisions. Uh, there was a lot of experimentation, it was all there. And then Jesus started saving people and he started changing them. And then people like Paul the Apostle started teaching the churches. And yes, in church, they taught lessons too on this topic. I want to take you to Romans chapter 12 too because this is kind of an overarching view in my mind of what God wants to do in our lives. Here's what it says. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. He's taking us to the spiritual, see? You'll be changed from inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. Now, that's the message translation. I want to challenge you something. As we move forward over the next few weeks, I want to challenge you to, to take a break from the cultural view of who you are and listen to what God has to say to you, how he sees you, how he wants you to change from the inside out, and how he's invested in that with you. I want you to think about something just for a minute. In America, people who identify as Christians say they go to church an average of 1.5 times a month, one and a half times a month. I don't know how you do a half, but some of you might figure, I don't know. Anyway, so that's the, that's the statistic, right? So, so you are exposing your thinking in a directed sense in a church toward God for like an hour and a half a month. Now, you might read scripture on your own, which would matter, of course. You maybe listen to Christian music, and that gives you some insight into the, the faith, possibly. Uh, maybe you're involved with some Bible study experience. I don't know. But let's just say it's four hours a month. Okay, listen. That means that if you have kids, that's about how much time they're getting from God's perspective. Now, how's that going to stack up to social media, their peers, their educational experience, whatever that is? I mean, think about it. In this room and in this setting... There are people from a lot of different backgrounds, educational opportunities, personal beliefs, lots of convictions that might, might be different. 
my prayer and my encouragement for you is that we fix our attention on God and try to hear him. Really, throughout the whole summer, the messages are designed to help us hear God's point of view on things that maybe we get confused by. Now, I like to say that this is a two-part message. And by the way, that was just my sermon introduction right there. That was the longest introduction in the history of my sermons. Actually, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna stop at a certain time, so don't worry. Don't, don't think, don't start freaking out. He's gonna go 40 minutes. I'm not that kind of, I don't have that much to say. Okay, I have to use two weeks for that. But I'm gonna pick it up next week. But the big idea that I'm getting at today is this. And, and here's just the proposition I wanna throw at you. Sexuality has a divine design. What you believe about the very first verse of the Bible will in large part determine what you will believe about yourself, about our world, and yes, about your sexuality. And here's what that verse says. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created. Yes or no? I mean, God created. Do you believe that? If God is behind the design, then of course, and you believe that, you're going to be compelled to listen to him and understand his design and what he has in mind for us, the genius behind it. But if you don't believe in God, then anything goes, because why? What's the problem? You're going to live out your life in any way you want to, including in your sexuality. But God did design you intentionally and, com and very with complexity. And you can't deny that. You know, one example of God's creative genius is found in the complexity of the human eye. About every, about every annually, I go to see my optometrist. He's a brilliant guy, really good at what he does, and, and he has all these cool machines. And they have me look into this one and look into that one, and they blow air in my eyes, and they do all kinds of great... And then they take images, like, like detailed images of the inside of my eyeball. You know what I'm talking about, because you probably had that happen too. And, and I, I leave his office, and almost every time I think, man... God, you are amazing that even in that small organ, so much can be known. And he, he always points out stuff about my health. You know, he, he shows me things about my future, you know, because he can see stuff. And that's amazing. That's how complex we are. I'm going to read to you from Genesis chapter, 20, chapter 1, verse 26, 28. And in the cultural moment we find ourselves in, I would say that this might want to be the most, most sensitive and maybe even offensive couple verses in the whole Bible. But I'm going to read them because they're in the Bible. We're in church. Remember? We're in church. Okay, so. But I would say in America and in Europe, there's not a lot of, lot of there's not a lot of grasp of these things. Okay? Like we don't want to hear this. But here's what God says in the earliest annals of creation. He says this, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock, the wild animals over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man, in his, mankind, mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, mankind or humankind. God blessed them. He said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, 
fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the, the earth, the birds, the fish, everything. That's your role. Now let me round off this message by just pointing out three intentional concepts that he lists in the earliest part of the Bible. The first concept is this, that we are made in the image of God. Every person here, you are an image bearer of God. Doesn't mean you're God, he's God, but we bear his image. Now that has huge implications, especially in this area of human sexuality, because if I'm an image bearer of God, that means you're an image bearer of God. That means the way that you treat me and I treat you, the way that I relate to you, the way that you react to me and I react to you should reflect that we are God's image bearers. So that person, listen now, that person that you're looking at and what you're thinking, that person that you want to date, the images you look at on your computer or wherever you look at those things, whatever screen you like, the person you're married to and how you treat each other, it is impacted by that concept that we are image bearers. Now let me take a little step further because he does. He says, not only do you bear his image, but he created us male and female. Now this is not a, a series on gender. I want you to know that. But I don't know if there's any more confusing and convoluted thing today than the creative distinctions that exist between male and female. Genesis says God said, not Scott said, some church said, some educator said, some expert in the, in the sciences or psychology said, God made them male and female. The one who designed us. And then he said this, by the way, he wraps it up in the, in the design phase and, and the implementation phase. He said, oh, and this is very good. Very good. That's how he sees it. Now, here's the third thing. God's intention is to bring wholeness to our lives as image bearers. Let me take you a chapter further in Genesis 2. Genesis 2 is kind of like a long footnote to Genesis 1 26 through 28, and it shows how God created the woman after he had created the man. And you probably know the story, but I'm going to read it to you. For Adam, no suitable helper was found, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, some translations say he just took DNA out of the man's side. It doesn't say DNA, but that, I threw that in. And then he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she is taken out of man. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife, and the two become one flesh. Okay, look at that process now. Leaves, united, one flesh. And then it says, in the perfect sense, Adam and Eve were naked. There was no shame involved because everything was just right. Okay, so let me... Go back on that. Three highlights. In God's intention, so he creates a man, creates a woman, and then he says, first of all, you're going to leave. Now, a little pre-tip to those of you who have found your one. Make sure they're okay with totally leaving their mommy and daddy, okay? It's just got to be a thing. Like, be aware that mommies and daddies, let them go. Like, the basement, that's not their domain any longer, and if they come back to the basement, don't let them stay for more than a month. They're like fish. They start to stink. Don't do it. Don't let it happen, okay? 
leave, leave. If, if she doesn't want to leave her daddy, she ain't the lady for you. I'm just telling her right now. She's got to work that out, daddy. Okay, here's the second thing. United, they get married. They put a ring on it. Like, it's called commitment. And so if you're sitting next to someone and they're kind of leaning in and they're saying, hey, hon, I know we're not married, but we're married in our heart. You just lean back and say this, C-O-M-M-I-T-M-E-N-T, explanation point. I'm just saying, that's what it means. God's showing us the level. Leave, united, and then, and then, here's what he says. They become one flesh. After they leave, after the unity ceremony, that's where the sex comes in, okay? That's the divine design. If you, if you breach that, it's to your own peril. Leave the home of your youth, be united, then become one, and that's life. Now, I get it. Some of you are living outside the specifics of the Genesis description, and you're like, yeah, there's lots of complications here. And those of you who are exploring sexual identity outside of the boundaries that, that we've identified from Genesis, maybe you're thinking the old guy didn't get the memo. I mean, like, like, what rock did he crawl out of? Like, doesn't he understand we now have alternatives and we're finding our identity and we're trusting, you know, the, our own souls versus some ancient book? And there might be some parents here who are becoming somewhat impatient with your you're, you're, you're married kids and you're wondering if they got the memo about the having kids thing because, you know, you want to be grandma and grandpa. And so you're saying, crystal clear, Scotty boy, keep praying, you know. No. God's design for us as image bearers, the God who made us, he wants so much for us. And he knows us. He created you. He created you to live a lifetime of goodness and hope, and encouragement. And yes, we're going to err. We know this. But I want you to, to do, just be committed to something. I hope you'll come back next week. In the meantime, I want to remind you of what we've gained from Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And it's something that I haven't said, but I'm going to say it, and let this be something that you take from this place. Before there was sin, there was sex. This is God's will for us. He made us this kind of person. Sin doesn't come around until it's described in Genesis 3. We're going to get to that. For now, in the most abrupt ending in the history of my sermons, that's part one. <laughs> Let's commune. Lord, we're the church. Church meaning we're your people. And we're your bride. You're the bridegroom. We are your bride. And in this solemn ceremony, we're representing something that in the ancient setting meaned the same thing it does today. That you love us. That you're a groom who would die for his bride. And you did. So Lord, we're grateful. We're grateful that the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready and you have cleansed us and purified us. And we come with fine linen, bright and clean. And we wear it before you today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.
There's a part of that song that uh, caught my attention where it talks about, you know, the Old Testament hero David who faced this giant, you know, you know the story, you know as well as I do, where he was completely unarmed and had a couple stones, a little bag of rocks, you know, and against this menacing force of a giant. And, and yet, you know, falling into God's provision, he was able to stand against it. I got to admit, I feel like we're up against that kind of a giant when it comes to our lives and our sexuality in this culture. I think it's, it's a daunting task. I really do. And yet, it's not hopeless. And why is that? Because we have our creator to stand with us. And I would think that there are many people in this room who are just struggling somehow with, with how you feel about yourself and how you're expressing your sexuality. It's, it's an issue for you, and you know that. And maybe you feel like it's impossible. And I'm here to tell you it's not. That, that you have a God who loves you. He created you the way you are. He has something good for you in this. And I want to remind you of something that we say here quite often in one way or another. Here at Third City, we see ourselves as a bunch of sinners who have been saved by the only person who, who never sinned. And when he saved us, he did it to restore us to something better. And that better is found before sin entered in, before we forgot that we bear his image that he created us in his image. He is not done with any of us. He's just beginning. So let's go on this journey with him and let's see what he has for us. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.